Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Trust and Believe. I'm your host, Shanti, and today we are going to enhance your ability to trust and believe with a friend in my head, now a friend in real life, I hope, Asia Sullivan. I found this amazing human on TikTok, and one of the things that really caught my eyes and ears was her ability to speak to people as a doctor and something that's even near and dear to my heart is the lgbtqia plus community i know we just had pride month but like i tell you all the time we should be proud of who we are beyond just one month and that's why i wanted to have a star pop back in to remind you guys of how to trust and believe in yourself and talk about the health beyond LGBTQIA+. Get ready to trust and believe. Somebody say it again. No, no, no. What's up? He's better than Oprah. Come on, y'all. This is Sean T, and it's time to trust and believe. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Asia, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. And just to clarify for you and for the audience, so I'm not a physician or a doctor per se. I'm a physician associate or a PA. I function as a primary care provider and I have all my own patients and da da da, but I'm not technically an MD. But you've probably seen a PA or a nurse practitioner at some point in your life, just for a little bit of clarity. And I'm super duper excited. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you so much for explaining that. I think me, myself, along with so many other people, we're like, they have the doctor's coat on, they know what they're talking about, they see patients, you're a doctor to me. However, I will yes. respect your schooling and your <laughs> degree. But with that said, first of all, I want to say, before we get into the health stuff, the photos and videos of you and your wife are gaggery oh, to me i was i like, can't believe shanti saw my wedding <laughs> i was like are you kidding me you know when you see two people and you're like these two people are meant to be together and you'd never even met them before even i'm somewhat of an empath i was like oh my goodness like it's like lego so first tell me about your life where you grew up your wife i want to be all in the business 
Absolutely. So I actually grew up in rural Alabama, close to the Florida line. I'm sure you can hear that. I'm trying to let the accent go a little flatter, but I guess I'm still a Bama girl deep down. The town that I grew up in was a population 400 people. It was 30 minute drive to school, 30 minute drive to McDonald's, 30 minute drive to a Walmart. So it was very isolated and tiny. But, you know, I did go to school the next town over, which is actually where I met my now wife. So we've been together since high school and 11 years now, and we just got married this past April. I literally, this is going to sound really strange, but since I'm gay, I can say this. I've never met a gay love story that started in high school and, <laughs> you know, people ended up getting married just because I think we so like many trauma bonded down in the deep <laughs> south. <laughs> And the rest is history. <laughs> I was going to say, because as an LGBTQ, obviously, person, we're not allowed to be who we are. You know, at least when I was growing up, it was like, don't tell who you are. So then you eventually become and come into yourself when you get to college or something like that. So that's when you start to really explore and be accepted by people and live freely. But I think that's an incredible start of a story. That's amazing. Yeah, we finished high school. We went to college together in Birmingham, Alabama. That's where I did my PA degree, my undergrad, and a master's of public health all there in Birmingham, which is a fantastic city. It's like a little shining jewel, I think, down there in the South. And three years ago, I moved here to Los Angeles to take a job in the clinic that I'm currently at. It's a really unique and really awesome primary care facility where all of our providers, the doctors and the PAs are all queer. Almost all of our patients are queer identifying, our nurses, our staff, our front desk. So it's really like a nice safe place where we focus on a specific community. And we see patients of all lifestyles and shapes and sizes, but we really try to cater towards the LGBTQ plus population here in LA. And two-part question, because I'm really interested in this. One, who founded this particular clinic or who wanted to develop something like this? And two, beyond the fact that you're in the community, what was something that really guided you to be a part of that? The clinic I work at is called Dr. V Medical, and he's my supervising physician. So right now it's me, him, and another PA. It started out just him, but it has grown and grown, and we've been continuing to expand with other providers. So his name is Kopani Vishne. He founded Dr. V Medical. Um, I'm sure he would be he would love to talk to you or at some point. And then what drew me to this particular community? You know, I've seen health disparities my whole life, especially growing up in Alabama. We didn't have a lot of access to good doctors or to hospitals or to acute care. And that circle gets even smaller when you're talking about queer folks or folks who are seeking out sexual health, sexual education, that type of thing. And there's a huge need in this country for primary care, specifically when it comes to more marginalized groups. Growing up, I actually cared for um, our neighbor up the street had AIDS, but because we lived in such a small community, there was no education on HIV, there were no HIV clinicians, and that man ended up actually dying from AIDS in a way that could have easily been prevented had we not been in, again, the rural South, and he had a lot of self-internalized stigma stigma from the doctors. And I think that's what encouraged me through my undergrad degree to pursue HIV research and then into my master's of public health. I did a dissertation on HIV. And uh, yeah, that kind of those two things together really pushed me to join this practice. And it was a beautiful, perfect fit. 
I love that you're in public health, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. But I read a little bit ago, I was, I definitely was reading. I wasn't on TikTok because, you know, a lot of people get their news from TikTok now, which is like maybe not the best thing to do. But that a lot, a larger percentage of people who are contracting HIV AIDS is actually not the gay community. Can you give me some like statistics on that and tell me how correct I am maybe? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that statistic actually shocked a lot of people, but I do think it was a bit overstated. From what I understand, in that statistic came out of a study in the United Kingdom. So it was a smaller population, but it did show actually for the first time in any of these studies since we really started focusing on HIV transmission, a higher number of newly diagnosed heterosexual folks as opposed to just gay men. And it also found that these people tended to be diagnosed at a later stage. And I think a lot of that is probably due to the idea that HIV and AIDS is a gay man's illness, just a lack of routine testing. I think if you're a doctor, provider, and someone who comes in and it's a gay male and this, that, and the other, you kind of routinely think to screen for HIV. For heterosexual folks or even lesbians or whatever you may have it, HIV is not really at the top of people's list and therefore either patients aren't thinking about it, providers aren't thinking about it, and it can really go missed for many years. So I don't think that study is reflective of the entire, especially here in the United States, but it was in the UK for the first time we did see more transmissions in heterosexual folks. And I think that shows really how good the gay community has been about educating themselves, testing, prep, pep. There's a there's actually a community being left out of that conversation and we're seeing that now they're starting to reap those consequences. I just saw something on a woman who is an influencer, social media influencer, and she didn't realize until her later stage in a disease. I believe that she found out after she had AIDS because she felt her body was off, but because she was heterosexual, she didn't necessarily say, I want to check for HIV. And the providers aren't thinking it either. And so that's why I wanted to really bring that up because while it's not booming or whatever, it's still something that even heterosexual people should be mindful of. It's an absolute risk for all all people really who are sexually active, just because it's more prevalent in a certain community doesn't mean the risk is zero. That's something too that we that we talk about a lot is actually getting more straight hetero bi folks on PrEP because the greatest uptake of PrEP, which is medication for the prevention of HIV, has really been largely in cisgender, white, middle-class gay men. There's a, a large a disparity among who could be eligible for PrEP and who is actually taking it, which is something that we're working on addressing. We put a lot of emphasis on gay males, meaning only men who have sex with men. And even in a gay community, when someone says, when another male says they're bi, there are a lot of guys that's just like, oh, oh no, you're he's not. just transitioning to gay. Yes. Right. And I'm like, no, there's a such thing as bisexual. Like, I know plenty of people who are attracted to both sexes. <laughs> and I say that because, yes, they're out there with men who have sex with men and they are still going to the club like that girl's fine as hell. And I, you know, <laughs> absolutely and you on a night where you're just trying to get it in. We are you know, equal opportunity, you know, <laughs> folks out here. So 
Yeah, bi erasure <laughs> is so, so, so real. Whether that's women, you know, mm. people will look at bisexual women who are in relationships with men as hetero. You know, that, oh, mm. you're not queer, you're not bi, you're in a relationship with a man, and sort of the same thing. A lot of bisexual people and their identities do tend to be erased by people who go, oh, no, that's, you know, you're, there's not, no bi man, that's a gay man. But you and I both know that's not the case. Of course, there are bisexual men and women out there. So I want to switch topics a little bit and really dive into public health. A lot of people here don't go to their doctor or physician or get a checkup or even blood work even once a year because of the cost. So could you give me, and listeners out there, just like the difference between public health and private health and I'm eventually going to want to know some ways that people, if they're afraid to get blood work because they don't make enough money, how to go about doing that so they can keep up on their health as best they can. Yeah, that's such a good point. And the horse is so dead on how bad American healthcare is, but it, it truly is. It's so expensive. And in terms of health expenditures, meaning how much people spend on health, how much it costs for anything, a CT scan, a doctor's visit, your medicine, the U.S. compares themselves graphically to every other country and our healthcare spending is going up and up and up and up and up. But the life expectancy and the quality of life doesn't go up the more we spend. It kind of levels off no matter how much we spend. So we know that there's no clinical benefit to spending as much as we do on healthcare, And it's highly prohibitive, even just your basic blood work for what would be considered a, an annual checkup. But your cholesterol and your blood sugar and that kind of stuff can easily run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars if you're not insured. And that's assuming that you even find a clinic who will take you to do those labs. And so, exactly. you know, we're really fighting a multifaceted battle here because, and I've learned even here in LA, even with the most fantastic insurance and private health care and all of that, it can still be very hard to get medications or get specialist appointments. And so when we're talking about folks who are uninsured or underinsured, that problem is just tenfold. What's the difference between private health care and public health care? Because I want people to understand what's available to them. Yeah, so when we talk about private healthcare, really, I mean, you could think of that as private practice clinicians, like the one that I'm in, or some even hospital systems, large hospital systems could all technically be considered private. I feel that, honestly, America, we really don't have too terribly much of a public healthcare system in the way that some countries do. We have community clinics, that we have your Planned Parenthoods, LGBT centers, low-cost clinics, but uh, they tend to be very, very overworked. It can take a long time to get in. And so that's kind of the difference is whether or not you're, you have private insurance, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Aetna, United, da da da, versus a government based plan such as Medicaid for low income or Medicare for 65 plus. And public health is really kind of an umbrella. Whenever I was getting a degree in public health, people would say, well, what is that? And it's truly everything, you know, leash laws for your dogs are public health, seatbelt and speed limit laws are public health. Of course, we're gonna be thinking now of germs and COVID and mask wearing and hand washing. All of that is public health. So really it is an umbrella term that focuses on everything that impacts our lives at a community level, not the individual level. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. As I was going through my journey, I was like, I wonder if I could be a public health kind of doctor because the clinics and I grew up on welfare and we had food stamps. And I remember all of the things that went with that. And it was kind of embarrassing. Mm -hmm. You had the free lunch and you had all this stuff. And I was like, oh, well, maybe there's a way I could be a part of this system and make people feel good. And then I started some of those biology (laughs) classes and I said, listen, I mean, I graduated with honors, but I just didn't have the time. I was too busy dancing and cutting up. But anyway... Which is its own form of health promotion. Like you have probably touched millions and millions and millions of people's lives through and health promoting physical activity, which that's one of the hardest actual health behaviors to change is turning someone who has a more sedentary lifestyle. And I'm sure you know this into someone with an active lifestyle. It's not easy. PAs or doctors, they're not experts in fitness like me. They can give the groundwork to begin, but people just don't do it. So I always call myself like, you know, preventative medicine. That in is a my way, passion. Preventative here in, in public health sector and primary care. That's always what we're trying to do is prevent disease before it occurs because it's cheaper. The quality of life is better. So I'm a huge fan of preventative medicine. You're just so great. And I think that you're super friendly and not intimidating. Kind of how I like to be on my platform. It's just like, oh, like this person is coming with facts that don't scare you because I believe a lot of times when you see social media, a lot of people, and it's ads and anything in general, marketing is all about, I'm going to scare you to make sure you need this. And if you can't live with this, then. We know that doesn't work, especially to change health behavior, like fear based. It doesn't work. One, the patients are scared to come back to you because you've scared them, shamed them, whatever. Like no one has ever been scared out of smoking cigarettes. No one has ever been scared into strictly using condoms or scared into cutting out red meat. Like scare tactics from a health approach don't work. I know people who haven't been to the doctor or a physician or any kind of checkup in Oh yeah, me too. And I'm just like, and they're not living, even attempting to live a healthier lifestyle because I'm definitely not a fitness bully, but I'm just like, So anyway, I like seeing these things, and I think that's what attracted me to you, too, is just like, oh, this is someone that's giving you preventative care and giving you information so you don't have to be afraid. And I think that's really what it comes down to when people put off either just their regular checkup or anything, STI or HIV testing. People can put it off because you're afraid of the result or people don't want to know. Ignorance is bliss. At the end of the day, we try to encourage folks. You have to know where your enemy lies to attack it. Oh, I like that. I always try to tell people, the more active you are, the better you're going to be. You don't have to do insanity, really, if you don't want to. Preventative medicine is just so important. And you can create your own preventative medicine, which is walking around a block every day or just learning a new sport. Or even if it's something like baseball where you're pitching and hitting and just having a good time. But anyway, Asia, so I have one more health question and then I'm going to get nosy because there have been times when I've been watching TikTok and I've always been like, I just want to call her up and hang out. 
Like I have this thing. Like when I meet people on TikTok, please I'm like, do anytime. I'm like, oh my gosh, are they like that in real life? Because I would just hang out with them. So I do want to talk about prep for a minute, and we've I think we've spoken about it on my podcast before, but I saw a few months back that there was a new kind of prep, which was a shot that you get once. I think every three months. And I do know from talking to other friends of who are doctors, actually, that even though PrEP is obviously extremely effective, some people forget to take their medicine or if you get to take their daily pill. So what kind of statistics have you seen with the shot, which I forget what it's called, actually? Yes. Well, I'm so excited that you asked. And yes, so if you haven't heard, there is now for the first time ever injectable PrEP. And so PrEP is really an umbrella term. It stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis, and it refers to the three drugs now on the market, which is Truvada, tried and true, everyone knows Truvada, we love her, Descovy, which is kind of like Truvada 2.0, they're both pills, and now Apritude. And Apritude is an injection that you get every two months. You have to get it at your provider's office. It can't be self-administered yet, but it's new to market. You only need a shot every two months, except for the first and second, which are one month apart. And it's really perfect, especially for young folks who aren't on the blood pressure pills and cholesterol pills, and maybe the only medicine they take is their daily prep. It's perfect for people who are forgetful, who don't remember if they've taken a pill or not. It's perfect for people who may have housing insecurities or who aren't able to go to the pharmacy once every 30 days to pick up their bottles. It's a really good option for a lot of different people who travel often. And so far it's being really well tolerated. Side effects are mostly what you you would expect from any shot a little bit of swelling a little bit of pain in the butt cheek but it's super exciting it's really revolutionary wow that's really good to hear because i do know that i think even people who take have to take any pill every day it's always just like oh my gosh did i take that and then you forget if you did yeah. and then you have to like go count the pill bottle <laughs> like the yeah. whole thing it's a hassle and we always yeah. talk about compliance whether that is to blood pressure medicine or prep or treatment or whatever you may be on it's actually not that easy for the average person, especially in our busy worlds, to remember, like you said, did I take it? Did I not? So it's really addressing a big gap. What is the criteria for someone to even take it? Because we did speak a little bit ago about it's preventative for everyone, but number one, would you tell them to take it? And what if they're like, well, I just don't like taking medicine? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's an individual choice. Like no one can make the decision to take PrEP or no one can assess your risk except for you. But, you know, for people who don't like taking medicine, I almost encourage PrEP even more because say you do contract HIV, then the medicine for the rest of your life. It just really depends. Some people don't like taking a pill every day. Other people say, oh my gosh, I'd much rather take a pill. Don't give me a shot. I'm needle phobic. So it's very case by case what people want in terms of PrEP, I do recommend or at least have the conversation for PrEP with pretty much all of my patients, even patients who are not at high risk, just so they know what's out there. And not only PrEP, but if you are someone who chooses not to take PrEP yet still had an exposure, potentially there's also PEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis. So if you believe that you have been exposed to HIV, or if you have no idea if you were exposed, if you're within 72 hours of the potential exposure, we can give you medication that will prevent you from 
establishing an infection, even if you were not on PrEP. So there's PrEP and then there's PEP, and they're both, they both have a lot of utility, but I'm a fan of PrEP for everyone, even if you don't feel like you're at super high risk, because you never know. Rick PEP, do, does it have to be, does a person have to be, for lack of a better saying, a bottom, like the receiver? Absolutely or, not. Because that's one of the things that's the real kind of like debate. It's like, you can only get it if you're yep. a bottom. I'm a top. I can't get it, you know? No. Statistically, the transmission is higher for folks who are the bottom or the receptive partner. But you may, you can absolutely contract HIV or any of the other STIs as a top. It doesn't matter where you, you know, what position. And then also another way that PEP comes into play is for healthcare workers or for street outreach workers and needle sticks. So so that's something too that that doesn't often get thought of but PEP has got a large a large utility it's not just actual after sexual exposure um, but yeah the whole top or bottom throw it away throw it away <laughs> I'm so happy you say that because you know you know out in these specifically the I gay street count how many times <laughs> I've heard oh I don't need that I'm a top I've heard it so, so, so many times. And like, yeah, statistically, it's, it's less likely to be transmitted that way, but the risk is not anywhere close to zero. So you're married. Tell me about your relationship and how, especially, I would love to know if you wanted to share what your wife does for a living and how you guys marry your lives together, especially with you being a busy physician's assistant and you have this whole world over here of this different marginalized groups of people and minority groups of people that you're helping. So tell me just a little bit about your relationship because I'm nosy. <laughs> of course. So yeah, we talked a little bit about been together a long time, going on 11 years, married now for three months. And Tierra is all things multimedia. So she's a videographer, web developer, app developer, graphic designer, photographer. Anything digital media, she's your girl. And she does any of the like cutesy videos you see of me with like cool transitions or anything other than just like talking into the camera. She's the mastermind behind all of that. She was actually the one who really pushed me to get into social media in the first place. So she's behind the scenes for everything that I do. And she works with multiple different nonprofits doing their website and social media. That is so cool. So it works together. See that? She's like... But both of you are very photogenic, so, I mean, like <laughs> She's I She's kind of the artsy, creative <laughs> one, and I'm like the more scientific-minded. I'm not super creative without her, so we really balance <laughs> each other out very well. That's cool. I love that you've, um, you've been together almost 11 years. Scott and I have been together. It'll be 12 years in October, which is awesome. And married really for really how many? Cool. Married for 10 in October. Oh, wow. I know. But, oh my goodness, you guys have been together for 11 years and, like, you're three months in. This is amazing. You waited long enough to know that it's going to work, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that's definitely. So cool. All right, who, who proposed to who? She proposed to me Ooh. in 2020, and it was, like, this gorgeous, like, beachside, like, picnic moment. Just the two of us. So it was super, super romantic. But I was very surprised. I had no idea. We hadn't really thought too much about getting married or anything like that. So I was really surprised. Which is kind of rare these days because some people are like, well, I already have the ring picked. People <laughs> <laughs> like, this is yes. what I want. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I do want to talk about gender care because gender care is something that is majorly not talked about or you hear about people's journey after they've been on a journey. I know this gay pride in New York City, I, because of, really because of TikTok, people have shown their transition, their gender transformation. And it was the first time where I was out and I would meet people who'd be like, oh my gosh, I've done your workouts for years. And I knew that they were going on a journey or would be a trans trans guy. And I was able to know that they were a trans guy because of certain characteristics and things that I was I learned on TikTok. So it's been a really great platform for even me as a gay person. To learn about each other. Yeah. So tell me more about just gender care in general. Like, how do you handle that process with someone who comes in to visit? First of all, there are, we don't have, there's a lot of guesswork that's been taken out of it. For a long time, there was no standardized care for trans folks. You just, if you were willing to take the risk on your license, basically, and prescribe hormones to people, then you just did it as you saw fit. Nowadays, there's the there's WPATH. It's like the World Transgender Medicine Organization. I know I'm getting the letters wrong. But anyway, they have standardized care. And so now we know exactly how to start testosterone or estrogen, what things to monitor, what levels should be like. And so that can be something that's very difficult to find. There's a I think a misbelief that it's difficult or it takes a lot of specialized training. But really, gender care starts the moment that person walks in the door. Let's say that you're not equipped to handle hormone therapy or anything like that, but by using that person's name, their pronouns, recognizing their gender maybe not be the same as what's on the identifying documents and that type of thing. Like you can start gender care and gender inclusive care the moment the patient walks in the door. Even before they walk in the door, do your forms have an option for anything besides male and female? Do your forms have a place for a preferred name, for the preferred Mm -hmm. pronouns, that sort of thing? Just those tiny things can go really, really far, even if you're not going all the way to take this person to surgery or to start them on hormones. So pretty much everyone can offer that service of just being inclusive and being a welcoming place for gender nonconforming people. And if there is one thing that you could say to unsupportive family members who have someone transitioning or they have already transitioned and they're now who they are, because, you know, you are behind the doors where people a lot of times feel most supported, especially if you are a physician or PA that's helping them on this journey. What is one thing you can say to unsupportive 
family members who are on the other side of that door that might give them just that little bit of fuel to support their loved one? I guess at the end of the day, I would say to those family members and have said, some people will bring in their moms, their dads, their sisters to talk about. I think a lot of resistance comes out of fear. The parents especially, they fear for their child. They know that trans people are under attack in this country. They know that their child may not be treated the same. And a lot of times it's not so much a bigotry, but rather fear for their kid and fear for their well-being. Sometimes it's just like staunch conservatism. You're not going to change their minds. But so one, I try to educate families on the actual medical process. Like, no, we're not just throwing hormones at your children all willy-nilly. Like, there's guidelines. We're monitoring them. We're going to make sure that everything about this transition is safe. And also, you're doing your loved one's psychological harm. It's not transitioning that's going to harm the patient. It's having that lack of support from the people who love them. And at the end of the day, the person that you love, your family member, that doesn't change. They're still them, but they feel that they are able to now be truly themselves. So I guess it's really hard. It just depends on how open-minded the families are. I always try to start from a place of education and then see how receptive they may be. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, everyone wants or has a desire to be who they are, to go after their specific goals. To and be I loved for who they are, accepted to, for who they are. Yes. Presenting feel, the way that they are. Yes, 100%. I just feel like, like you said, it's like ignorance or misunderstanding or judgment. Even parents or family members feeling like they're going to be judged yeah. because they have that family member who is transitioning, it's, right. it's so wild. I just wish that the world would just be like, you're healthily getting it done. Your mental health is, you're Better. trying to keep your mental health intact and like let people live their lives. Let people know? live. I have never, that's something I think that has really always been confusing to me is I have never in my life looked at a stranger and been worried about who they were loving, who they are having sex with, who they are, what, how they're dressed. Could you imagine spending your time so worried about this other community and who they're having sex with? Like, I've mean, like never. For, right. I'm happy for y'all. I'm like, live your best life. You could be gay, straight, bi. You could be fluid. You could be a swinger. I'm like, listen, if you are happy and this is healthy for you, I'm like, well, you go right ahead. I'm with Love you it. all the like, way. I cannot spend a second more time thinking about what someone else is doing or, I mean, it just blows my mind. Like people who get up to legislate against whatever marriage or. <laughs> it is, it's insane. I personally believe that is, it's just so wild. And the fact that everyone talks about the separation of church and state, but then you want me your example is the book that you believe in. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I grew up in the church, so don't try me. Because I'm like, listen, I could, I can quote I know all. what Jesus said <laughs> and what he didn't say. <laughs> or at least I know what they said he said. Because I, did Jesus really say it? Like, come on. My final question for you is how would you help people trust and believe in who they are? You have patients who walk in every day who might be afraid or people out there who may be afraid to just even begin the process of making it a health an option 
to take care of themselves. So how would you help them trust and believe that this journey is necessary? Sure. I think first and foremost, you have to trust and believe in the people who are providing you care. I know we talked a lot about not everyone has the same access to care, but I urge people, especially in the queer community, don't accept subpar care. Don't go somewhere that you don't feel that you can be your authentic self, that you don't feel that you can tell the provider what things you're actually doing or that the parts about you that are important to know for your health. So that's my first thing is like trust and believe in your provider. And if you don't, find a new one. The beautiful thing now with virtual medicine, and it's even come out of the pandemic now, is that you don't even have to go in person. There are so many resources for online care you can get STI testing online, you can get your cholesterol, blood sugar, all of that checked online. A lot of times you don't even have to go into the provider's office. So for example, our clinic, we see patients from all over the country. We give prep. I have patients from Alabama, from my hometown, who I see for prep all the way out here from California. So, and that's something too that I can share with you, low cost prep and PEP and STI services online. Again, you really, it's important to have someone, have a provider, that you can trust and believe in that they're doing what's best for you. And that is really just my main piece of advice is don't settle for less. There's somebody out there who can take care of your health and you can also still be yourself with them. I know from just having ads pop up, there's like NURKS or N-U-R-X, there's Mr. Mm -hmm. There's, I'm just letting people know that there's so yeah. many options out no, there. No, it's not a competitor for me at all. I also tell folks about this. So there's folks, F-O-L-X, they are fantastic. There's Mr. M-I-S-T-R, NERCs, as you described, and then also lots of private clinics as well, like ours, where if you want to know the provider personally. So yeah, there's so many online options. A lot of it is free. A lot of it is low cost. So those would be the kind of the top four I would put out there. I also really like folks for gender care, which is something that we didn't even get into, but can also be extremely difficult to find hormone therapy for trans folks. So again, like the World Wide Web is out there. Don't let any providers turn you away or make you feel uncomfortable like you can't get the care that you need. I know you do. At least you accepted my DM and responded to mine. Do you take DMs and where? how can people find you on social media? Yeah, so follow me on all platforms at Couture and Clinic on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I legally cannot give medical advice via DM, so you can't message me like, oh, look at this rash, even though people do. <laughs> However, if you are someone who's listening and you think you may want to do any sort of consult with me or have me be your virtual primary care provider. I would love to do that. And all of those registration links are also on my social media as well. So if you're listening and you want to be a patient or just talk to me, I'm happy to set up an appointment or follow me on any of those platforms. Asia, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm still a little bit starstruck. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs>